Hello and welcome back again to Gallimaufry. You thought we were done? No, we we're just getting started. This is episode three, season one of Gallimaufry. How do you feel? Pretty good. How I'm excited for today's episode. How, how have you been? What? What? How are the kids? How are the kids? Terrible. Cool. Today, I found. Uh, well, I thought Matthias Rust embodied the grind set. Work hard. Stay healthy. Stay alpha. Stay sigma. But I think I found a a, a bigger grinder. I think I found I... someone who is more on the grind. Bigger than Dimitri and Rust put together? Bigger than all the Dimitris who are also one Dimitri and Rusty. Are you ready? Can I, you possibly be ready? I don't know if I could possibly be ready, but I'm about as ready as I can be. Fair enough. Let's get into this. Our topic for today's episode is Jean Bernadotte. You ever hear of Bernadotte? No. Sean was born in uh, Pau, France. He is unfortunately French. L. That is his first L. But <laughs> he takes a few L's in the story, but I think he gets four dubs in the end. Nice. Okay. Now, Pau is about 31 miles away from uh, the Spanish border, right there in the foothills of the Pyrenees in southwestern France. It is about as far away from Paris as you can get. And this is 1763. This is a couple of decades before the revolution, the last decades of the Ancien Regime. And we have kind of a, a, a social conflict going on in France between the traditional landed aristocracy and the uh, the rising middle class, the bourgeois who have increasing amounts of economic power and through various uh, education reforms ha are literate and are generally well-read. They, they can speak, read Greek and French, but despite this, they're still considered legally peasants. They don't have, the, they have, some of them have actually gotten enough money to actually buy their way into the nobility but most of them are just kind of sitting around and uh, complaining about not being able to you know, vote or do anything about that. So Jean, that happens. Yeah. So Jean's father was in this class. He was a lawyer, which kind of like the classic bourgeois French physician. A lot of the uh, leaders of bourgeois during the revolution are going to be lawyers, including uh, Robespierre. Lawyers are, are journalists. That was the other big one. But and then he was born Jean Bernadotte, but his father had already had a son named Jean. Uh, it's not clear what happened there. Maybe he forgot that he already had a son named Jean, just gives it to another son. <laughs> and he, so he just really likes the name. He really liked the name, but eventually uh, maybe they talked him down because he renames Jean, to the second Jean, our Jean to Jean-Baptiste, continuing the French tradition of having many first names. So, <laughs> we now have Jean-Baptiste Bernadotte. So, because, and this is another thing that happens at the time, is you, when you're born 
a son, you are expected basically to follow in your father's footsteps. And so at the age of 14, uh, Jean-Baptiste is apprenticed to a lawyer. He basically no choice in this. You, you've got to become a lawyer at 14 or else, uh, I don't know, your parents will disown you. That's the way it was in France. I cannot uh, wrap my brain around a 14-year-old representing you in court. Fucking boss baby energy. I think, isn't, <laughs> isn't that how Phoenix Wright happens? Are you telling me Phoenix? Are you telling me right now that Phoenix Wright is 14? Because I, I don't believe you. I, I'm not, I'm not like in the canon of the games, but like, wasn't he supposed to be a prodigy? Anyway, that I'm getting sidetracked. Uh, we don't discuss, <laughs> this is not a, a Phoenix Wright lore podcast, unfortunately. It should be. So he ends up as a lawyer, as, as an apprentice to a lawyer for three years but then his dad dies when he's 17 and the family basically runs out of money so he has to give up his apprenticeship oh, at no, he's 17. He's gonna have to be a peasant again. He's gonna have to be a peasant again but there is one other way for social advancement that you don't have any position in society and that is the army. So at the age of 17, this is now 1780, Bernadotte joins the army as part of the Royal Marine Regiment. And you know what? He's, he's pretty good. Uh, he's popular. He, he apparently charismatic, athletic, uh, good at fighting, I guess. And French so he's army, though. Yeah. So, boo. He, yeah, so he's pretty good in the army. At one point, he um, it's not exactly clear his actually exact, exact service record because I don't speak French and can't access the French sources. But he may have fought in the American Revolution as part of the French Marines sent to support against the uh, British Navy. But it's not clear, again, not clear. And he gets the nickname uh, Sergeant Belgeon. You speak French, right? You know what that means? Uh, no, I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. It means beautiful leg. Hmm. That's his nickname. That's his army nickname. You've got you've got Psycho over there. You've got Joker, and you got, got sexy legs. You, you've got legs for days, baby. Look at those. You got Sergeant Gams over there. <laughs> so yeah, pretty. But I think it's supposed to be a good thing. I I would think so. I think they're. I don't know. Seems a bit sus. Hottest legs in the Marines. <laughs> And his legs aren't just for show, though, because in seven, by 1790, 10 years after he joined the army, he has been promoted to adjutant major, which is the highest uh, NCO rank you can get. So that's before you become a like a proper officer. That's about as hard as, hard as you can get in the actual ranks before you get a commission, Oh shit. which takes money. So he's basically just, that's as... The French army is a pay-to-win system. The ways you get mm -hmm. a commission are either your parents are rich and they pay for it. You're rich and you pay for it if you, like, stole most of shit during battle. But or, what do you mean? I'm sorry, go on. Or the third option is is you're born with the nobility and you basically just get it for free when you turn 16. What are you saying? What do you mean by get a commission? So in the army, what happens is is you have enlisted men 
who are people who signed up for the army and who are part of the ranks and who are part of um you know field duty and basically what do you think of it when you think of a soldier and then you have right. commissioned officers which is you go through training generally and you get a formal commission from the military saying you get to be in charge now so it's not like you so, so you actually are like specifically chosen to serve as I a see. colonel or a major or something like that. So John okay. is a, and, and at this time, like, like I said, you either buy that commission or your family is old enough and prestigious enough that you get it for free. Mm-hmm. If you're if they're in the nobility, nobility. So this is as far as you can get without getting commission, without the army specifically telling you to be in charge, which is pretty nice yeah and then this is now 1790 and i'm not going to go through the whole like events of the french revolution tennis court oath uh paris riots versailles bread riot whatever you just need to know for now uh there are some people who don't like the king and they're getting violent and they're starting to guillotine people Uh uh-oh and so Bernadotte thinks that that's pretty cool. Like I said, his family was disenfranchised because they were still technically peasants, even though they had some money and were upper middle class by our standards. So right. he was one of these early supporters of the revolution. There is actually a myth. It's probably a myth that at this point, Jean Bernadotte got tattooed onto his chest, death to kings, as like a Base. show of his, yeah, as show of his devotion to the revolution. Um, this probably not true, but it would be incredibly funny given what happens to him later. Just a little Uh-oh. foreshadowing there. So, also, a quick question: Yeah, how many French revolutions have there been? There have been, depending on definition, at least four. Okay. Um, I have a little bit of a funny story. I swear it's quick. Um, just that when I was going to public school and, uh, we got our world history books, um, there were so many part chapters, like specifically devoted to the French revolution. Um, the book just said yet another French revolution. (laughs) (laughs) They they made a habit of it. And I'm, I'm just counting this. They got tired. That's just the successful revolutions. We have four that like overthrow the government, overthrow a monarch successfully. Mm-hmm. And the rest are just attempts. I and then you have other like insurrections and riots and civil wars. It's it's a long history, long and glorious right. history. Mm-hmm. But also Wait, French. no, five. Sorry, five. I forgot about the one in the 1960s. <laughs> Yet another French We have had five uh, republics, three kingdoms, and two empires. Some real Dimitri energy. Yeah. I might do an episode about Napoleon III later, but who can say? Hell yeah. Where was I now? Okay, so with a revolution, that old system of nobility and things like that is slowly torn away by the revolution, and now uh, there's an opening. And uh, up in the ranks, because basically, the, like about half 
of the commissioned class. So the colonels and officers and majors and generals are of the nobility. And most of these noblemen, the moment the revolution starts, they start to get panicked. And eventually they start to just trickle out of France. They run to uh, Britain. A lot of them go to Britain. A lot more go to Germany or Austria. So a lot of these people just leave the country, uh, desert the army, get out. And a lot of them will later return during the French Revolutionary Wars as volunteers in the army of the Allies. Oh. Which means there's there's an opening, and Bernadotte becomes colonel. He's uh, chosen by his soldiers as colonel and basically gets the commission that way because there's, you know, he uh, successfully revolutionized his soldiers. Claims to be anti-king dies anyways. He's not going to die for a while. <laughs> anyway, so at this point, 1792, he is 29 years old. He is a colonel in the army. And he is a rising star. At this point, France declares war on Austria, starting the French Revolutionary Wars, and a general period of military conflict between France and the rest of Europe that goes on until Waterloo. So this is wow. beginning of 23 years of basically on and off constant war in uh, continental Europe. And Bernadotte is still pretty good. This is something... I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but at several points in this story, it ha just has to become Bernadotte just grinded so hard that everyone had to admit that he was really good and give him more stuff to do. Because that happens like five times during the story, that he just impresses everyone with how good he is at stuff. Wow. He is truly on that grind. Uh, I love that for him. In 1794... He is promoted to Brigadier General. In June 26th, uh, later in the same year, he beats the Dutch at Battle of Flores and uh, is promoted to Divisional General. August 21st, Battle of Theningen. This is a major battle. I'm not going to like make you know all these battles. Just know that he's he's doing a good job. He's, he's getting a gold star there. <gasps> he gets a little pat on the back. He gets a little pat on the back. At this battle, he is outnumbered three to one, but still wins. Well, he doesn't win, but he saves his army, manages to read and treat in time, despite getting stabbed in the head and surviving. Huh. When, when you grind, you uh, you gain the ability to recover from head wounds. Just on a point, I think. I think that's how science works. Yeah. I, I think that's how it works. Yeah. He, he learned the Sigma technique of surviving being stabbed in the head with a sword, but he recovers pretty quickly after a few months of being back in Paris, and he is ordered by the French directorate, who has now taken over the government in Paris. It's kind of like a council of, of politicians, and they order him to 17, in 1797 to report to Italy to reinforce the other young rising star in Italy, in, in France. Uh, a young Corsican named Napoleon Bonaparte, who you may have heard of. Never heard of him. Wow. Yeah, he he, had, he did some stuff. He was, <laughs> yeah, he, he was also on that grind. But I think we'll see who wins at the end in this little contest we're holding. Napoleon is really good, though. He is 
legendary for his ability to defeat armies bigger than himself, to show up where nobody expects him to show up, to basically act like a dictator around people, make everyone obey him. And to the point that he defeats the Austrians in the Italian front, crosses the Alps, and basically dictates the peace terms to the Austrian court, the Austrian emperor, without actually going back to Paris. So he personally made peace in this war without actually huh. asking anyone if he could do that because he's just a general. But he... Maybe. He was just on another Sigma grind set level. He was another grind set. And so the count, the, the directorate fears him. They fear his authority. They fear his, his political power. And so Bernadotte, as kind of a potential rival to Napoleon, gets promoted in his place and told to take over Napoleon's army in Italy. And he goes to Italy, but by the time he gets there, Napoleon's already uh, fucked things up for him. Because Napoleon has this ally in Paris, uh, Talleyrand, who is an absolutely fascinating figure. He fights on every side of the French Revolution and ends up like negotiating every piece. He is a complete... Every side? He fights on every side of the French Revolution, basically. He is such a... Comp he switches sides, he makes deals, he backstabs, he lies, he politics. He is a really interesting figure. Gaslight, girl boss, Kate Keith. Mansplain, manipulate, manslaughter. Yeah. That's him. That's him. And Talleyrand convinces the directorate to, instead of making uh, Bernadotte the head of the Italian army, to switch him to becoming the ambassador to Austria. And so he does. He switches. He goes up to Austria, moves up to Vienna. And as soon as he gets there, and once he's settled in, he uh, raises the French flag over the new uh, embassy. Right. Austria has just been at war with France for six years, and they already hated each other before that. So the moment he raises the flag, an angry mob or assembles outside the embassy, demanding that he unraise it. He refuses, and the angry mob storms the French embassy, burns the flag, ransacks the palace, brings out their carriages, like the carriages parked outside were the embassy. Were these just like civvies were these... these are just random civilians just who hate france so much that they storm the french embassy and burn the flag can, can we bring that energy back honestly i think legally argentina gets to do that tonight nice i think that's that or, that's that's the stakes nice. i don't know yeah wow yeah i think i think you could do that i think that's gonna be buenos aires tonight damn the point is they, they take the carriages out, they bring them out of the streets, they burn them, they stomp on them, they cut them to pieces. So this is a complete mess. This lasts about five hours. Bernadotte has to flee to a monastery, like, across the street. There's, like, the Pope's embassy, and he has to hide there until the morning. Oh my gosh, this guy. First day on the job. The first day on the job, his job is making peace with the Austrians. And within, like, a day, he started a riot. So, I don't think he's cut off this job. And so he gets recalled. He gets fired. He gets sent back to Paris. And now he is, for the first time since he was 17, out of a job. And so he starts 
you know, hanging around Paris. He has some money. He, he's he's young-ish. He is, let me see if I can do the math here. He is 34 years old. He is a general. He is a former amb ambassador. And he is now just left to wander Paris. And he, up, he ends up uh, starting a courtship with this woman by the name of Desiree Clary, who um, also has ties to Napoleon. She is Napoleon's ex. She and Napoleon were engaged at some point before he broke it off. And her sister is married to Napoleon's brother. He took Napoleon's job and his ex? <laughs> yeah, he, well, he couldn't take Napoleon's job, so he took his ex as... So he, they, he and Napoleon are now brothers-in-law. And if you want to use a contemporary analogy, if Napoleon is Walter White... Bernadotte is Hank. Oh my god. Uh that's hilarious. <laughs> I think that's I think that's Sigma Rule 264. Marry your enemy's ex and become his exactly. brother. Exactly. Exactly. Keep your enemies uh close and your enemies ex-wives even closer. Yep, and uh, he does just that. Though Napoleon's awesome, Napoleon's wife, he later marries, is actually married, was previously married to another one of his enemies. So I think Napoleon just likes that. Huh. I think that counts as like reverse NTR, though I'm not sure. But back to Napoleon. November 1799, he takes over France. He overthrows the directorate. And declares himself the first consul of the French Republic. Nice. And w. He still sees Bernadotte as kind of a rival, but now they're also brothers-in-law, so we can't, like, have him arrested or killed or anything. So he decides to keep around as a general. In 1802, he signs a peace with Britain, which ends the war temporarily for about a year. You've you got a year of peace. It's the halftime. And Napoleon Hell is yeah. trying to figure out like what his next moves are going to be because Napoleon is incredibly ambitious, isn't going to stop in France. He wants to form a globe-spanning empire. And his first objective is to reorganize what the French kingdom already had. And what already had was Louisiana. The whole stretch of North America, what is now the United States and a bit of Canada, basically from Louisiana, all the way up to Montana, like a huge chunk of territory. Wow. And Napoleon sends Bernadotte to become the governor of this territory. But then, just when he's about to leave, Napoleon changes his mind and sells it to Thomas Jefferson, to the Americans, which is why we have it now. So he just got fired before he could even show up for the job, basically. Damn. But Napoleon is still working on his plans. And in May 1804, he abolishes the French Republic and declares himself the first emperor of France. And as part of this, he reorganizes the military and brings back the old title of marshal, kind of a, a, a supreme general, and appoints uh, 24 guys to this rank. And one of them is his brother-in-law, John 
Bernadotte. This is one of my favorite details about the story, though. Uh, the marshals, Napoleon gets the idea that all the marshals should be like nobility, as in like proper royal nobility. Mm -hmm. And so he carves out, out of his territories he's conquered in Italy, he conquers, he, he's conquered in Italy, he takes out uh, this little piece, the Principality of Ponticorvo in south central Italy and gives it to Bernadotte. Ponticorvo is 34 square miles in size. That is smaller than Disney World, for reference. Oh my god, so small. So Bernadotte now has his own magical kingdom all the way in Italy with about 500 plague-ridden peasants and like a single vineyard. Rut row. What plague is this? Oh, I'm just talking about like general. They oh. have the plague still. It never left. It never left. <laughs> yeah, no, they 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 they're old fashioned. They're still medieval. They haven't given up. They're they're of the old ways. It's a birthright. Yeah. So by this point, the uh, Napoleonic Wars are in full swing. Basically, the rest of Europe is at war with France, and the rest of Europe is losing. And Napoleon sends uh, Bernadotte up north to fight the Swedes. Ends up defeating the Swedish army at the Battle of Lübeck. But uh, the Swedish army is treated with respect by Bernadotte. He, he treats them with honor and respect and, you know, compassion or whatever else you want to does Defeating. he give the general a little kiss on the lips? I think he does. The general's name, by the way, is Count Gustav Morner, who remembers this. I th maybe he has a crush. I don't know. But he remembers always that Bernadotte uh, was nice to him. And gave him a little kiss on the lips. Gave him a little kiss on the lips. He gave him a little blanket and a cup of hot cocoa and said, you did your best. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he sends a letter to his nephew, Carl, and is like, hey, this Bernadotte guy was so nice. He was just the best and such a nobleman, too. Such a he's a prince. He's, he's a good nobleman. He, he, he's, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's my guy. He's my little guy. He's my big guy. Look at look at them beautiful legs. Yes, such beauty. Did you see his legs? He was just walking around. At, at one point, he was walking away, and I gave him a little whistle because I loved his legs. And he turned around <laughs> and he rolled up his pants and he gave me a little wink. <laughs> that was uh, the gentlemanly thing to do. That that was the most heterosexual move you could do in seventeen hundred. That's how you knew you were straight if you gave if you rolled up your legs. The straightest Frenchman. <laughs> the straightest Frenchman, yes. <laughs> In July of seventeen of eighteen o seven, the French Empire makes peace with the Russian Empire at the Treaty of Tilsit, freeing up a lot of uh, territory and a lot of uh, armies mm -hmm. for uh, Napoleon, basically ending his immediate concerns on the Eastern Front. And so Bernadotte gets a civilian post as the governor of the Hansa territories. The Hansa are a series of cities 
in northern Germany, Lübeck, Hamburg, Bremen, uh, I think Riga is sometimes counted among them. Basically, like the, the wealthy mercantile cities that were the major population centers during the Middle Ages. Ooh. Basically, appointed governor of them. And they're right next to Denmark, which means he also gets on well with the Danes because the Danes have their you know, consulates there and frequently send trade back and forth. So he's in charge of ne basically negotiating trade things mm -hmm. with the Danish, which means he gets a lot of contact with them too. In August 1807, uh, Britain starts to become afraid of this relationship, particularly of the relationship between uh, France in general and Denmark, which also uh, included Norway. This is the Kingdom of Denmark and Norway. Mm -hmm. And in 18, August of 1807, uh, Britain attacks Copenhagen and destroys the Danish fleet or seizes it. Destroys and seizes the Danish fleet so the French can't use it against them. In, res in response to this, Denmark declares war on Britain and officially joins the French alliance. I mean, one of Napoleon's very few major uh, continental allies against the British. As part of this, Bernadotte is made a knight of the Order of the Elephant. Nice. Which is the Danish, uh, you know, military uh, knightly order, similar to Order of the Bath or the Order of the Garter, or whatever these orders are. Mm -hmm. And Napoleon is is now getting along better with Bernadotte. Because their family, he actually considers making Bernadotte his heir, like the heir to the throne, but oh, shit. eventually decides against it after he has a kid. So at this point, Bernadotte's doing pretty good. He's control of a wealthy territory. He has the respect of the North. He has the respect of Napoleon, though Napoleon still sees him as a potential rival who's trying to get on his side. And things are looking good. So we're going to leave Bernadotte for a bit to talk about what's going on in Stockholm. In 1809, King Gustav IV of Sweden is deposed by a coup led by his uncle, Charles. Charles becomes is crowned Charles XIII. Though he's not actually Charles XIII, in the 16th century, the Swedish monarchy adopted a fake history book which claimed that the Swedish monarchy the Swedish kings specifically were descended from Noah, like specifically charting out the line of descent from Noah down to the king of Sweden, Sweden. And that list. What do you mean they adopted a fake uh, history book? Like there's this history book. They just adopted and say, this is official. This is our history. I know it says we're descended from Magog, but it's us. This is us. This is our stuff. A Gog? Magog, who was one of like the grandsons of Noah. And anyway, so it's it's like trying to boost. So as part of this whole mission to adopt like an ancient history. Uh, gotcha. Charles, uh, one of the other Charleses, added six to his name. So he was, so Charles the 13th is actually the seventh king of Sweden named Charles. They just claimed there were six other guys named Charles who were king of Sweden before him, like 2,000 years ago. I hate that. That's a terrible system. Yeah, you just add numbers when you feel like it. 
I mean, as long as there are more numbers than the Danes have numbers, that's what's important. The only thing that matters. Yes. So Charles uh, is, is, at the time that he takes the throne, he is 61, and he has no kids. He adopts a Danish prince as his heir, but the prince dies pretty quickly after, leaving him in just the same position. And But he's 61, maybe he has time to arrange some things, but then he has a heart attack and is left Ow. basically incapable. He is fairly weakened. He is infirm. He, I think he, he loses the ability to walk. So he is you know, not in a good position to actually do any ruling or planning out the next hundred years of Sweden. Yeah. So the nobility of Sweden, the Riksdag, the parliament, gets together to decide who's going to be uh, Charles's heir. And remember how I said Napoleon had uh, another, his wife was already married to one of his enemies. Well, that, that wife had another child with that marriage, Eugene de Berana. Ber, Ber, Bohane, uh, France is about to be ruled by someone with the first name Eugene, right? Yeah, Sweden doesn't want a king named Eugene, even though he is viceroy of Italy at the age of like 20. Why are these babies in charge? Because they have the good blood. You don't understand. If your blood is good, then you can be good at a job. If your dad was a lawyer, you can be a lawyer too. That's how it works. That, that's how genetics works. Yeah, that's how genetics works. You've got the lawyer gene. He's got like the, the, the king of Italy gene because his father, because his stepdad is the emperor of France. Also, and his remember, name is Eugene. And his name is Eugene de Beauharnais. I think I got it that time. Yay. Anyway, <laughs> you remember it that one? Great. You remember that Swedish general who uh, Bernadotte kissed on the lips and yes. said everything was going to be all right? He sent mm -hmm. a letter to his nephew, Carl. He had told you that. And Carl, hey, wait, we're looking for a king. And there's a guy right there who has really pretty legs and is nice and can fight a battle. And so <laughs> without consulting the rest of the council, he writes a letter to Bernadotte saying, hey, this might be a weird question out of nowhere. You want to be king of Sweden? And the moment the Swedes find out about this, they have Curl arrested and accused of treason. Like, how dare you offer this guy, this random French peasant lawyer who has nice legs and is a good commander and is honorable and has a relationship with a Swede, with Napoleon, who we're trying to butter up to. And hey, wait a minute. Why don't we make this guy the king? And so in August of 1810, the Reichstag makes the decision. Jean Bernadotte is the heir to Sweden. He is now Prince Carl Johan Bernadotte. Oh my God. That's his new name. That's his new name. That's his new name. Carl Johan Bernadotte. And he goes to Napoleon and says, hey, uh, buddy, they want to be, be to become king. Can I uh, just go over there and become king? And Napoleon says, okay. Please. As long as you take an oath to never go to war with me. And Bernadotte says, no, I can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> and Napoleon just respects that answer so much that he just lets him go anyway. He, so Jean Bernadotte, a French peasant, from the Pyrenees is now 
the heir to the throne of Sweden. And he shows up at Stockholm, and he impresses everyone with his legs and his good kissing skills. And he... Good. And he befriends the queen. And he, you know, gets along well. And basic, and since Carl, that's Carl the thirteenth, uh, is, you know, capable. He had his heart attack, and he's, his health is still declining. Right. Bernadotte is effectively the regent, so he is right now effectively the king of Sweden in all but name. It is now though eighteen twelve. Napoleon has gotten back to war with Britain. He's gone back to war with Russia. Things aren't looking good. He's losing control of his empire. And as part of this, he makes Bernadotte declare war on Britain as part of his larger plan. And then, after deciding that, that wasn't enough, he annexes Swedish territory in Pomerania, which is... So, uh, 17th century, Sweden annexes some territory from Germany uh, during mm-hmm. the Thirty Years' War. And now France is stealing it from them. So they get pissed. And so this basically ruins the relationship between Bernadotte and uh, Fran- and, and Napoleon, as well as between uh, Sweden and France. On June 24th... Are they no longer bros-in-law? They're no longer... Well, they're still bros in Actually, no, not bros-in-law, because Napoleon divorces his wife, who is Bernadotte's sister-in-law, and marries an Austrian princess instead. Okay. Got and it. so they are no longer bros or bros-in-law. They are now yeah. merely homies. On June 24th, 1812, Napoleon makes the classic historical mistake of invading Russia. And he, he manages to capture Moscow, but, you know, basically can't keep it. It burns down, and he has to retreat in the winter, and half his army dies of, you know, freezing to death. Mm-hmm or being killed by angry Russian peasants, or desert, basically whatever you can think of. They just have a really bad time at camp. Bro, the average folk back in the day, like, the fact that they were just running people out of town and fucking just straight up attacking people on oh, site. Yeah. They would just, like, ambush fr- random peasants. Random Russian peasants were just ambushed Russian soldiers and just killed them. Like, what are they going to do? They're already running. So, I, I love that. Yeah. Peasants in this day go hard. They do. Is what I'll say. And so Sweden seizes an opportunity, declares war on France, makes peace with Britain, and the whole army starts to, the whole empire begins to fall apart. On October 16th of 1813, Napoleon is defeated at Leipzig. This is the largest battle in history at this point, the Battle of the Nations, between because you had at least one guy from every country in Europe showing up to fight uh, Napoleon. So this is like Damn. Avengers Endgame, but French. <laughs> but what if Thanos is the concept of France? I, I too would go against Thanos then. Yeah. And now... Carl Johan, Napoleon's old buddy, is on the French, is on the uh, anti-French side. Though he doesn't, and so as soon as Leipzig is over, he decides, you know, they've got France covered. I'm going to invade Denmark. I'm going to invade Denmark. And he invades Denmark. And in like a month, he defeats the Danes and makes them give him Norway. So he is 
because like I said, Denmark, Norway. So now it is Sweden, Norway, and Denmark is just sad and alone that they get to keep Iceland. Damn. And uh doesn't even have ice. Yeah. They get to keep Greenland though, which is nice because that's all nice and green. Sweden, Norway. He's now the heir of Sweden, Norway. And the Norwegians rebel, but eventually he defeats them, even though he's forced to give them their own constitution and parliament. Cringe. 1818, Charles the Thirteenth finally dies. And now finally? Jean Bernadotte, who allegedly has Death to Kings tattooed somewhere on his body, is now the king of Sweden. Charles the Fourteenth. And his wife, who I mentioned back when, you remember, Desiree Clary, changes her name to Eugenia Bernadina Desideria. That's her new name. And she stays in France as long as she can. Eventually, she's forced to move to Sweden, where she refuses to learn Swedish. And just, like... Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And it is... And by this point, Bernadotte is so rich that he basically pays off the Swedish national debt with his own money, like, out of pocket. And as soon as the war's over, he declares neutrality in all foreign affairs. So he's, you know, people like him in Sweden. Yeah. By this point, he's his politics have changed a little bit, and now he is incredibly conservative. He... Like, even by the standards of 1820s Europe. Wow. He censors the presses and imprisons journalists and prevents political reforms. Nobody can vote. It's just him and his noble buddies ruling the country. He almost gets forced to abdicate in 1838 after uh, he censors a journalist, after he imprisons a journalist. But eventually he crushes the riots and remains in power. And finally... On July, January 26th, 1844, his 81st birthday, he suffers a stroke, and for which he never recovered, and dies on March 8th of the same year. His son takes over after him, his son after them, and the current king of Sweden is King Carl XVI Bernadotte. His ancestors still rule Sweden to this day. What? They're still there. They're, they never they, left. They never left. You, they never got these French guys out of power. Damn it! So, what did we learn? Uh, don't trust the French. Don't trust... I think we learned uh, all the kings out there never stop grinding. You're right. Any concluding thoughts? Um, I really hate the numerical system for the kings. Yeah, they added like a bunch of guys to that whole thing. Hold on, let me see if I can find the... They just added some guys? They added some guys. This is um, Historia de Omnibus Gothorum Suenumque Regibus. And he just, again... Adds, well, adds guys. He yeah. imagines a guy. This monk, by the way, this guy's a monk. He adds 92. Wait, let me see 92. Or, we don't know exactly how much of this is accurate. At least, at least, um, 
109 guys to the list of kings. He said, imagine 109 guys. Imagine 109 guys and they're all king of Sweden. <laughs> and at least six of them are named Carl. That's fair. I can imagine that. And one of them is the grandson of Noah. Right. And one of them was Albert Einstein. <laughs>